everyone, and welcome to episode 690 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good, Todd. If I do my gazintas here, I know we didn't start doing this show exactly, um, you know, at the beginning of a year or whatever it is, uh, but we're 13 years into doing this podcast. Oh my God. I know. I feel old just because of that and nothing else, Joe. Right. Because we, you know, obviously I'll say, I'll say 12 years because we took the, well, we've been doing this with a break of a year in between three guys from nowhere and weekly long box to get to where we are here. But mm-hmm. yeah, we've been doing this a long time. What a long, strange trip it's been, Joe. Yes, indeed. Uh, so what do we, what do we got on the show uh, this um, week? News? No, uh, right. just because it's the end of the year. So we're going to go over our, you know, best of the year kind of a deal. Um, conventions, none, Joe. Um, I'll, but we will have our latest edition of My Walk Down Lois Lane by the pride of Bampton herself, Becky. <laughs> um, what we read last week, which was both Batman Offworld number two and Superman number nine. Um, what we're looking forward to this week um todd and joe have issues where it's the final week joe can you believe that the final week where we're rereading all of neil gaiman's sandman in its entirety and we're down to the last two issues of sandman overture five and six and the original sandman story that was in the beautiful sandman helm that i recently bought um and finally a spoiler filled talk of the 2023 christmas special from doctor who joe's favorite tradition at christmas i have an interesting story about my experience watching this this past week (laughs) were you drunk no but uh you know uh we'll we'll get into it when we get into it you gotta tease you gotta sweep those quarter hours gotta keep you tuned in right right we'll cross that tardis when we get to it oh my goodness i hope i'm no how would it be for crossing the tardis i hope it's parked and i'm driving a semi when i cross it is that how it would go your semi wouldn't survive the tardis is you know it's fine it'll be fine but go ahead yeah so Again, no news. We need to make a more concerted effort to, like, realize that, like, oh, last week of the year, nobody's going to release any information or nothing like that. We even lamented, I think, on uh, After Dark this week that while the previews comes out, we don't have, like, the full, full previews. Like, a lot of companies don't even have their solicitations ready. Diamond doesn't have the short order form up. So we just need to be more mindful about uh this last episode of the year is our year-end review episode right where we review the end of the year yes uh so i guess where would you like to begin you know we only we were not doing a ton of them we got you know a couple categories anyone in particular you want to start off with um i think we could start out with the tried and true ones basically writer and or and or artist to start with either one you prefer Okay, so let's. I, I think I, I have a feeling we're gonna have the same writer of the year. Right. I'll make that prediction. Um, I, I did see that we had a category a couple times where we had uh, interview of the year, but we've only had like five or six interviews in the thirteen plus years that we've been doing the show. We've had uh, some stunners though, but yeah, we have. And listen, when we do an interview, it's you know, we try to get heavy hitters, right? Mm-hmm. Um. 
but our I, I, my writer of the year is Kyle Starks. Oh my God! I look at my notes. Mine is also Kyle Starks. Yes. <laughs> um, and yes, is it? He's a friend of the show. He's a friend of ours. He's a great artist in his own right. Uh, but he, he's definitely someone that Todd and I have been on board with for quite some time. And it's it's one of those things to see someone like this rise up through the ranks. And again, you know, we talk about it a little bit on After Dark this week to see someone who's chugging along on those indie projects, maybe doing something here, doing something there. But he Kyle this year, 2023, had two books from DC, had a book from Marvel, had a book from Image, had a book from Dark Horse. And as 2024 is about to kick off, is going to have a book coming out from Boom. Right. And doesn't he have uh, that one? And then there's like Karate Prom he's doing, too. So I don't know where that's going to be at. Right. That hasn't been announced as a release or where it's going to show up. But that's like something he's currently working on that doesn't have a home. I think he's also doing a sequel to Where Monsters Lie at Dark Horse in 2024. So hopefully he can keep that machine rolling. And... The, the one thing about it is he is the same writer, the same style that he was going back to, you know, Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, Rock Candy Mountain, mm-hmm. uh, going back to Sex Castle, all the other stuff that he's done before, where he, he's definitely someone who hasn't compromised who he is as a writer. Right. To get the books that he gets, to get the mainstream books that he gets. You know, there are people that like change up and like, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. He's definitely a writer who this is how I write. And either mainstream is going to get me or they're not. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, that's okay because I got my little pocket over here and I'm doing all right with it. And he's definitely someone who did not compromise who he was and how he writes and the tone in which he writes things in. Like, okay, the Marvel Unleashed story doesn't have any swears in it, but. Neither did like the Batman story that he's the the wild dog story that he's doing in Batman, right? Right. So you know, and not everything has to be swears. You know, we could all write without them from time to time, <laughs> right? But, from time to time. But yeah, he he's definitely someone that I, I'm very happy to say that like we were kind of on the ground floor. We're not the only ones. There's a lot of the podcasts right. I picked. I I discovered Kyle through other podcasts and other you know social media stuff as well. Um, there's definitely people who can claim him before we claimed him, but we're claiming him. That's right. We're planting our uh, Kyle Stark's flag right here. Um, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Like the hardest man, uh, the hardest man working in comics today. Like you said, although he had one at Marvel, he had one at DC, uh, he had multiple at Independence, stuff like that. All of them, you know, were great. Uh, you know, I, I did like some more than others, but I love I loved them all. Um, but yeah, I, I like he, he's a guy that I think both also like our tastes run parallel to his. So uh, it, that's just why it works so well for us. Right. He, he's in the category of people like a Jason Aaron or an Ed Brubaker or a Brian K. Vaughn where I, I don't need to know what the book's about. Just tell me how much it costs and when it's coming out and I'll be there. Yep, I agree. So how about artist for you? For me, I was going to cheat and say uh, uh, Smallwood because he had two issues of the Human Target at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And I believe he was my uh, 
uh, pick last year. But I'm going to go a different route, and I'm going to say that it's for me it's Dan Mora. Um, Dan Mora draws both Shazam, or uh, the captain, or whatever you want to call it, and he does Batman Superman World's Finest, and he gets those books out on time. And then he has a billion covers throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And I was the best ability, Joe, availability. I love the fact it looks beautiful and I love it. I feel like he is almost hurting himself by being so prolific, but I believe he's going to be on that. Like he's going to have that book that doesn't just make people like him, but it's going to put him through the stratosphere. And I hope that's this year, but I love Dan Morris stuff. If we were ranking things, he was in my top three. Okay. He was on my list. And I think it was the prolificness of it. Because I would just see so much of his stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I went my... So I'll say this. So he would have been my number three if we're doing it that way. Right? We're not. But we are. My number two is uh, Riley Rossmo, who's doing the uh, Wesley Dodd-Sandman book. Okay. Because I was blown away in those first, like, especially the first issue, but, like, the second and third issues as well. His panel layout was amazing. And it's Mm -hmm. something that I haven't seen someone do in quite some time. And it was very impressive, but there's only three issues this year, so I couldn't count it. Right. So my artist of the year, I think, is probably the same person I picked last year, they were not as prolific this year as they were last year, but it's okay because, you know, they're, and again, the difference between Dan Moore and this guy, uh, and that would be Bruno Redondo. He was my number two. There you go. He literally was. And, but for what you say on Bruno Redondo, his like his layouts or however he sets up panels, and I always go back to that one where uh, Nightwing backflips off the building, mm-hmm. and he's just doing the elegant fall, falling with style, if you will. And then there's the classic Superman pose with Superboy coming up. I'm like, if if that's not a poster, you're you're just leaving money on the table. His covers are so striking. He does so many different things with the covers. There was an issue of Nightwing. We talk about Nightwing. That's, you know, what he's been working on for the last, like, two years, mostly. But there was a cover earlier in 2023 where it was, like, a bunch of two-page spreads of a chase through an apartment building. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing. Like, the le- like the, the time that he took to put that together, uh, must it boggled my mind just to see that. Yep. In the printed and, page. And he did that whole issue where if you laid it out end to end, all the pages would work as one ongoing panel. Yes. Just he, his mind works on a different level. Yes. So. So my book of the year wasn't published last year because of the schedule that it's on. Mm-hmm. But just like any time it comes out, it's invariably the book I'm most looking forward to coming out this week. And if it comes out, if we get one issue a year, it's going to be my book of the year. And that's Saga. Fair enough. Yes. That that Brian K. Vaughn, he's an okay writer, Joe. And Fiona Staples uh, knocks out of the park with their art as well. And I think we maybe take Fiona Staples' art for granted because all she does is Saga and the infrequency that Saga comes out. 
Again, not blaming right. either creator with it. When it comes, it comes. It's worth it. I'll say this. You did your top three, even though we didn't do it. It yeah. was Bruno Redondo as two. And I'm not going to say two. It was Fiona Staples and Bruno Redondo as two and two A. Yeah. Instead of two and three. But yeah, those would have been uh, my three. The only knock that kind of goes to them is just because like Saga is on. But we totally like when you tell us how you're going to do it. So I'm fine with it, with them having hiatuses and stuff like that. But uh, that that's kind of why Saga isn't like my number one book. But my number one book is the book that blew me away. And I've, I've talked about it and I've pushed it as hard as I can on other people. And it only has six issues. So we only did six months of it. Uh, was the the new Jeremy Adams Green Lantern book. That book made me so happy. And then to actually talk with Jeremy Adams and like pick his brain about what he's doing with the book uh, kind of like pushes it into the stratosphere. But yeah, for me, I've hadn't had as much fun as I had reading uh, Green Lantern. And each month he ends it with, I need this book. I need the next issue now. And that's the sign of a good book. If there was a rising stars category for me, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be book or writer, it would be the Jeremy Adams Green Lantern book. Right. And I, I have to check to see which ones came out. And, you know, obviously they're original graphic novels, but I think the last Reckless, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips book came out at the beginning of 2023. Right. And then you also had Where the Body Was. Yeah. And now see... Uh, we talked about where the body was and whatever the, like the spooky one was, which we didn't like as much, but where the body lies, I like the way that reckless wrapped up. Right. Even though I don't think it's completely wrapped up, but yes, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I would never keep Ed Brubaker off my year end uh, best of writers list. Right. It, it, and that's the thing. I, I think if it was last year when it was at least two or three of the reckless graphic novels. Right. Where this year, I think it was just one. And again, I'm going to turn away from the microphone just for a second. To look at your bookshelf behind you. Yes. Slide all those bib fortunas out of the way. Night fever. Night fever this year is what keeps uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips from not being on the list this year because it was just okay. And right. you know, it's not this. It, it, if it was any other creative team putting out that book, I would have never read it. <laughs> but because it was them, I read it, and I'm like, all right, goes on the shelf. <sighs> you tried. I know you guys. I've I've seen you guys do better. Right. You know, and even that, like a. A not their best book is still better than a lot of the books out there. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. So I'm with you. I'm with you. So what do you what do you want to do next? TV show, movie? Um, I I think we could do TV show. Okay. Uh, I'll take my swing, and I know it's not a comic-y book one, but it falls into the you know sci-fi nerd. Yeah, it's it's, a, I I say it's something that we watch for the show. Oh, okay. Because you didn't watch it then. Um, okay. I'm just going to say what it was. I'm a Star Trek Strange New Worlds guy. Mm -hmm. That's one of my, like, like Captain Pike is my, is my captain now. Um, and I, Picard season three was really good, but uh, I'll let you go then while I think of shows that we did. So no, 
Yeah, listen, if Star Trek was your show, then Star Trek was your show, right? Right. It might even be... You know what? I'm, I'm switching it to Picard Season 3, which was really Season 8 of Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, boy. Eh, whatever. I enjoy it. Made me, made me happy. What's yours? Uh, Sandman. The Netflix Sandman show. Was that this year? I thought that was last year. No, it was this year. All right, I'm going to change my vote to Sandman. Yeah. Fair enough. I honestly thought that that was 2022. So, is it that it was 20... You know what? I think you're right in that it was 2022, and I don't think I watched it until later. Right. Uh, So, I think you are correct. So, that does not count for me. Okay. Yeah, because it was released all in one except for the two episodes, which they parceled out in August 2022. There you go. Thanks to Wikipedia. There you go. Don't read the whole thing, please. Right. No. Was it? Uh, was it uh, Nick Fury? No, that wasn't good. Right. I'm trying to think. Then, what would be my show then? Because hmm. anything I can think of came out in 2022 as opposed to 2023, right? Right. Doctor Who specials? No, definitely not those. <laughs> no, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. <laughs> I know I watch stuff, but I can't think of anything then for my TV show. Let's just say... I'm going to count Sandman because I watched it in 2023. How about that? Okay. I can't because I watched it in 2022 mm-hmm. um, because I'm a real fan. And uh, Wow. Yeah, I, I shot that shot. Um, yeah, but Picard season three for me. Okay. Movie, I know this one came out in 2023. I know, and I'm wondering if we're going to have the same one, unless it's, uh, uh, you know, White Claw. that you We're not going to. <laughs> White Claw? <laughs> yeah, isn't that the seltzer? No, you're thinking of Iron Claw, and that's not, con- like, yeah, you know, genre well, I, related, If I went right? to see it, I'd have to drink first, so I'm calling it Iron Claw. Oh, my goodness. But my movie of 2023 was Across the Spider-Verse Volume 1. I figured it was going to be that. Yeah. Uh, if it was going to be one. Um, I have not seen that yet. Um, because I was supposed to go see it with some people. And then like that fell through. And it left the theater. And we never got a chance to to get back to it. And then when you, we dropped the news. You know uh, that, it went, that it was getting pushed further back. I'm like well if I haven't watched it. I'm going to be watching it at home. I'm just going to watch it when it gets closer to putting out the other movie. Then I don't have to wait a year and a half. Um, so I, I can't put that on my list. But Mayan, I think you, I haven't seen many movies this year, but the movie that blew me away was Godzilla minus one. There you go. I think that is better than any Godzilla movie has a right to be. And it's maybe the best movie I saw all year. And maybe the best movie I've seen in a while. That being said, I haven't gone to the movies in a long time. But uh, just that movie was perfect for me. It was equal parts, you know, emotional to equal parts giant Keiju destroying a city. And I know we've t- I know we've talked about it in the Discord and other people that in Japan they're doing a re-release of it in black and white. Yep. I would be there in a heartbeat if they do it here. Yeah, I would definitely go. Um, and again, I know you, you, you're not a horror movie guy. You might be familiar with it. 
Five um, uh, Freddy's or something? No, no. Um, Five Nights of Freddy. I heard that was really good. No. Uh, Frank Darabon's The Mist, based on the Stephen King story. Um, The one with Punisher in it? Yes. Tommy Thomas Jane. That movie's amazing. It has one of the bleakest endings that's ever been in a movie. So on the DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, right? you could watch it in black and white, which is how Darabont wanted to release it in theaters, and the studio right. wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. And it's like a completely... like It just changes the tone of the movie so much. Right. And it makes it takes a movie from a nine to almost like a ten plus by being in black and white, like a movie right. like The Mist. Uh, it's so it's such a good movie. I know you probably have, the fact that you've seen it shocks me. One and number two, you said it's Thomas Jane, but half the cast of The Walking Dead is in it before The Walking Dead was a well, thing. Lori Holden's in it. Every like everybody's in it. Like every. Right. Yeah, the guy who played Dale's in it. Yeah. Laurie, yeah, you said Laurie, you know, Carol, everybody's in it. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Carol's in it. Um, she's the mother who walks away. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll say this. To me, like, and I'm gonna equate it. I know we're talking about different things that like horror movies and suspense movies are different things. But like when you get into like gore movies, yeah, gore that's not for me. There's not a heck of a lot of gore in the mist that I remember. Mm-hmm. Other than maybe the spiders that shot acid webs or something like that, like cut through a leg or something like that. And then it's like, it's more the psychological thriller of the religious lady being crazy in the store. Right. And then the monsters and the monsters don't do a lot of damage other than, you know, uh, it's all implied. I remember like they send a guy out in a rope and they pull it back and it's just a bloody rope. That yep. don't bother me. You know what I mean? Like, but the, the, the feeling comes through if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, lo- I absolutely love the mist. And the other movie that they did that with is, uh, Mad Max Fury Road is they put out a, a Chrome edition, which is black and white. Mm. And I want to see that. I've never seen that. I want to see if that, you know, enhances the movie, but I always laugh when they're like, Oh, we, we, uh, we, we, you know, we, we went back and remastered it to be in black and white. I'm like, all you did was shut off the color. You just run it through a black and white TV set. It's easy. Like, don't make it like it, like you're reinventing the wheel here. It's all, uh, but I yeah. remember back in like the mid to late nineties when studios and directors and filmographers, like, uh, cinematographers and stuff. Mm-hmm. would lie and say that shooting on black and white film was more expensive, which is w- why the studios wouldn't allow, allow them to do it. Right. And the real reason is, is that most people, when they see a black and white, they see a movies in black and white, it's like, oh, a movie has subtitles. That means it's old or bad or different. Or, exactly. You know? And that's the real reason why. Don't lie no, and say, no, oh, it's, it's not going to sell. A black and white movie isn't going to sell. That's why they don't want to do it to their minds. Right. But I, I don't know. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of black and white. And like, and anything with, if a movie needs subtitles, I'm 100% fine with it. Yeah, I am too. I, I, I watch things in my native language of English in subtitles because it helps me like focus better. If there's accents, if there's names, or, or somebody talks fast. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm 100%. The only thing I don't like about subtitles is sometimes they spoil things. Mm-hmm. In if, that, if they're not li- they're not synced up properly. Exactly. Yeah. They'll be like door smashes. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You're like, 
door hasn't smashed yet. And then boom, you know, like, so, but. So I guess last but not least would be, uh, what are we looking forward to in 2024? Uh, what are you, your most anticipated, uh, a prediction, something for 2024? prediction is that we are going to have 52 flawless weeks of podcasts joe that's my (laughs) prediction 52 flawless weeks um uh that's my prediction i don't have much other prediction but i'm gonna go another tv most like looking forward to is as of right now things might change and there's rumors that it will but i'm going by the list i have in my email and if andor season two drops I'm going to be in my glory. That's what I want to watch. Now, there's rumor and innuendo that it's been taken off of the 2024 schedule. Right, but there's no hard and fast you know, confirmation. Right, there's no definitive, right. There's no one came out and said it's off the schedule and it's not coming out, right? Right, they had a they had a teaser trailer of some stuff coming out in 2024 and Andor wasn't on it. And that's what's led everybody to believe that it's not happening, you know? Right. I'll believe it when I see it, I say, right? That's right. But I'm going by the list that's on my email every week. So, Right. And that's the way that you sh- that everyone should do things. They should go by the list that I email Todd every week. <laughs> right. But what are you looking forward to most and or any predictions besides the 52 weeks of flawless podcasts for us? Right. I guess. So it's not a prediction. I guess it would be the thing that I most anticipated to see. What Marvel slash Disney does in regards to the Kang kerfuffle? I thought they fired him. Okay, they fired him, right? right? Do they recast him? Do they just pivot and say and just ignore that Kang was even in these movies? Like, what is there going to like? What is their official plan going to be? That's what uh, I'm anticipate. That, that's the thing I'm most anticipated to see what they're going to do. I honestly think that the Kang stank is too great now. Um, I, I'm I'm one of recasting. They did it with like it's not like they didn't do it. They did it with War Machine and Rhodey. You know what I mean? Yeah. At one point, they just, did it with Banner and the Hulk. You know, it yeah. was Edward Norton in the first movie, technically that everyone ignores. Right? They're going to do it with Thunderbolt Ross with uh, Harrison Ford. Right. Um, unless that's a swerve. You know what I mean? Who knows? But uh, I- I'm fine with it. Just I- And I went back as far as they should have recasted Chadwick Boseman. But everybody got up in my face. It's too soon. And I'm like, he, he, that's what he would have wanted. He, he was glad that, like, you know, uh, you know uh, that it was such a, a big film for, you know, young uh, children that were, were you know, African-American and stuff like that. I'm fine with it. But I just feel like it's too big of a, a you know, a moving, you know, parts. Just constantly recast. And Kang, just do it. Just get it over with. But I have a feeling they're going to pivot and it's going to be doom war, man. It, like mm-hmm. that's the only one at this point that they, that, that they can get away with. Well, you have a bias because you just want Dr. Doom to be ev- in everything. I do. And I want that FF five. I own to be worth a little bit more. <laughs> I, 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 you know, listen, I, I, what Jonathan majors did was horrible. Uh, it was the right decision, but, <laughs> He was a really good actor. Mm-hmm. He, he what really, Jonathan Majors did was horrible. He played Kang. How Ugh. dare you? He, 
I don't know why he was eating so much chicken and rice to play Kang, but more power to him, right? But he, like, I always say this, take away the bad stuff that he did outside of, you know, the movies. I think he made terrible acting choices with everything he did from Victor Timely to actual Kang. It was all boring and or stupid. I liked it. Of course. You're pre, you know, disposed to loving Kang. You have Kang in your blood. I do. I, I, What's I, your blood time? Kang O. <laughs> I should play Kang. <laughs> oh my god. The most bloated hairy Kang we've ever had. <laughs> oh my god. What you know what? If you play if you play Kang, they could stuff me into the armor and I'll be doomed. Alright. Oh my god. We would we would single handedly put Marvel Cinematic Universe back on the map. I was gonna say we would we would we would be idols of millions, right? Because we would finally kill the franchises for good. That's right. All the people who say it, Marvel movies aren't cinema, yeah. they would be like, "Oh my god!" You know, Scorsese'd be like, "My two heroes, Posto and Roker." <laughs> it's because of them, artists can make movies. But I will it's- say. I know we had discussed it on the show, uh, talking about Godzilla Minus One, that the budget for that film and how much money that movie has made uh, compounded with the bad year that Marvel and DC and superhero movies in general had in 2023. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be an immediate thing because there is already so much stuff in the pipeline but all it's going to take is one more movie like Godzilla minus one. And by that, I mean a lower budget. And again, in a world where $30 million is a low budget Mm -hmm. in 2023 is crazy, but where a movie that's $30 million production advertising budget makes over a hundred million dollars and is just rolling. It's not stopping. Mm -hmm. It's, Gonna take a all it's gonna take is one more movie like that for both Marvel and DC to completely reevaluate the way they make their movies. I agree, it just has to be a quality movie at a decent budget, right? Like, that's the and you know, not to go down that road. The problem with all these movies is, is it's bloated budget, not great movies. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying like I hated all the Marvel movies, but they're not of the quality that some of the early. Uh, Marvel Marvel movies were, and that's why those Thor movies didn't do as well budget wise or uh, box office wise because they weren't as great. But yeah. you do a great movie like Guardians of the Galaxy three, people show up. And is it too late to change? I'm I'm hoping we get a Flash two in 2024. Ugh. But anyway, yeah, not gonna happen. So uh, you know, like I said, we're not gonna do like that's that's enough. That's plenty. For right. uh, year-end reward uh, rewards, year-end awards, right? Right. Uh, so a reward for you, since there is no conventions this weekend, you can find out more information about uh, Soon To Be Named Network at SoonToBeNamedNetwork.com, SoonToBeNamedNetwork.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, you can certainly find out information about them on their own individual social media, through whatever podcatcher you use. But if you really want to get everything in one stop, that's soon to be named network.com. And of course, uh, with the show notes for every single one of these episodes, you could find out information about all of our friends and everything that they're up to on the internet. 
Uh, you can go check out Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. You can go check out our friend Kevin's blog at hellionsteam.com. You can go check out Rick Williams, the chop shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. You can go check out Jason Sandberg's Jupiter uh, a la carte at his Indiegogo, which is linked up, of course. You can go check out Chris Runt's Battle Monsters, a self-published comic book that he did through his website. You can go buy digital version of our friend Davey uh, from the band Cave People's Comics. Uh, I think Keeper is still in stock, mending, sold out on a physical level, but both available still digitally uh, through CaveDomainComics.com. And if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our store be your store. Comics on the Green, when the books come in on a Tuesday or Wednesday, they'll let you know. If there's going to be delays due to road conditions, they'll let you know. They'll let you know when the final order cutoff dates are for the latest and greatest and hottest books that are coming out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know if you haven't put your money down to pre-order a copy of Cobra Commander. Now is the time, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, of course, you know, if we're talking about the local comic book store, you sign up for the mail order subscription service, get stuff sent to you weekly, bi-weekly or monthly. If you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky who we're going to turn things over to right now for her walk down Lois Lane. Welcome back to my walk down Lois Lane. This week we're going to cover issue number 49 from 1964. This one has also been reprinted in 113. It's another giant size from 1971. That one's cheaper and easier to find if you would like a copy of this story for yourself. And you should, because in this one Lois kills her husband. So let's dive in. Superman is off-world doing Superman things and took Clark with him to cover the story, so Lois is all alone when she receives a phone call to meet a shady man in a shady alley, and she agrees, because that's just what you do when you're an ace reporter. While waiting and wondering if she's being pranked, she sees an explosion coming from a nearby warehouse and rushes to help. Inside is a man battling flames coming from a large machine. He tells Lois his name is Dr. Drolic, and he's working on a top-secret machine he can't talk about. Lois flashes her badge and says, you can trust me, I'm a journalist, and he agrees to give up the information. Drolic is working on a machine that finds the best and brightest at certain talents and tells Lois to push a button. She hits best athlete and it prints a location in Florida. She asks Drolic how will she know the guy and he hands her a pair of sunglasses I wish I owned because they are amazing and tells her the glasses will find this person's aura. Lois heads to Florida with her stylish glasses and sees an average man with a fancy ring and a crazy aura throwing baseballs so fast they would hit the flash as he ran by. She's so astounded she returns to Dr. Drolic and tell him she wants to try a different button. This time she hits the button for best musician and it gives her a location in Metropolis. Lois and the glasses I tried to look for on Amazon find a vagrant in tattered clothes and also a fancy ring, playing the violin so beautifully everyone has gathered around him. In fact, when a cop comes to arrest this man for vagrancy, he refuses, because the playing is just too beautiful. Lois returns to Dr. Drolic for a third time and hits Superperson, expecting the location of Superman, but instead it prints a location that I'm gonna assume is Oklahoma, judging by how it's drawn. Lois heads there and finds a man named Strongbear. Strongbear is a Superman. He stops fires with his breath, he refills a river by jumping into the earth, and he falls for Lois immediately and they begin to date. Strongbear proposes and gives her a necklace that belongs to his mother and has been passed down through generations in his tribe. The necklace is pure kryptonite. 
And when Lois asks Strongbear if he's allergic to kryptonite, he tells her no, only lesser supermen are. And she says, okay, well, he's better than the regular superman and agrees to marry him. Lois is given Strongbear's ring and told to bathe in a sacred pool of his people. As she's down there, she notices the ring looks exactly like the same ring the baseball player had, the musician had, and thinking about it, Dr. Drolic had it too. Strongbear appears and startles her and she drops the ring, smashing it and releasing gas. Strongbear immediately transforms into a little blue goblin man and tells Lois she has doomed him. He's from a planet where all the women and children died from a meteor and all the men were turned into like Warhammer looking characters. He was his planet's last hope for a cure. They gave him a ring and that lets him transform into planet locals, so he blends in while trying to find something to help them. But instead of saving his people, he saw Lois Lane in the newspaper, thought she was hot, and concocted this entire best and brightest scheme to win her over. The gas coming from the ring was the only thing keeping him alive. So while he's dying, he asks her for one last kiss. Lois tells him okay, but thinks to herself, and I quote, He is the ugliest creature I have ever seen, but his love for me is so beautiful, I don't mind kissing him, and the goblin man turns into a Thanos snap. Back at the Daily Planet, Lois is wearing her necklace and ring when Superman returns. He berates her for having the audacity to wear a kryptonite necklace around him, and asks her if she got that ugly ring from a junk heap, and she tells him that they have sentimental value to her before tossing them. Lois has had more <laughs> had more husbands than Elizabeth Taylor, honestly. She's been married several times in the comics, and more than one husband has lost his life. As I'm sitting here recording this, I can think of three other stories where the husband just dies in the end. Superman's actually responsible for the death of one of the husbands. I'll probably cover that at some point. But tune in next week for more Lois Lane. And thank you, of course, Becky, for taking time out of your busy day and your busy schedule of gift giving and gift receiving around the holidays, <laughs> uh, talking about Rod Stewart at the shop, amongst other things. But this was a fun one. This was um, this was a pure Lois is a jerk episode. And remember, for the longest time, there was the meme of Batman is a jerk. Right. Well, there was the Batman slapping Robin and then Superman being a jerk, too, was another one. Right. Where's our Lois Lane as a jerk uh, meme factory? I think this show can inspire it. I I would hope so. And I hope uh, young Becky finds those glasses, Joe. Yes. I really do for her uh, fashion ensemble. I don't know. She, she, I, I think that's that feels like something that you'd have to get off an Etsy site or something. Right, like exclusive to Lois Lane fashion from the old comics. Yes. So let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week, or what we read from this past week. Excuse me, where would you like to begin, sir? I'm going to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was uh, Batman Offworld number two, uh, written by Jason Aaron, art by Doug Monk. Um, as we learned in the first issue, Batman finds that there is life uh, outside of Earth uh, when an alien comes to Gotham. And in true Batman form, he's like, I got my butt whooped by it. So I need to know everything I can about aliens uh, so I can fight them. So, you know, he goes out into space to learn everything he can, especially about the one that showed up in Gotham. 
Um, and through that, he gets trapped with these pirates and meets, you know, various characters and stuff like that. And he's part of the slave labor on the ship and he's taking the jobs that are the most dangerous because people die from it. So he can help them along the way in true Batman form all the while with his new buddy Punchbot, learning, you know, the, uh, the weak spots on aliens. We meet Ion who's of Starfire's people from, uh, Teen Titans. We get a bit of her origin as to why she used to work as a bounty hunter for these people, but somehow she got on her, their bad side, uh, that's that's explained here. And then we realize that the two of them kind of come together and they decide to do a jailbreak. And that's kind of what this story is. Batman is 100% Batman in any situation. Love it. Jason Aaron has him definitely down. The fact that Batman won't, you know, no punch bots left behind, uh, you know, when it comes to people, he's going to go back and help everybody. And then when things go sideways, um, the thing that punch bot does to help him on his quest is, is really cool. Uh, kind of sets up where the, the issues going on from here. Um, yeah, I, I, I said this before when we read issue one, uh, Batman in space is like my kryptonite, but, uh, you know, cause it's so not low level street stuff that I love with Batman, but there's nothing. I, everything is so logical. I love everything about this book. The look, Doug Monk's art is beautiful. The coloring, um, all the, the, the different aliens, um, ah, like we said about, you know, Kyle Starks, Ed Brubaker, Jason Aaron, sign me up, sight unseen on books. And this one, he knocked it out of the park for me. Yep. Uh, you know, this is fish out of water combined with strength in your weakness. You know, you mentioned Batman in space is kryptonite to you. Not that Batman is a kryptonite, but I get you. Um, there, there are certain scenarios or certain whatevers that you put Batman into and I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll pass. Uh, you know, and not to say that we're being negative this, this episode, but we're being a little bit more critical. Uh, I see there's a DC book that's out by Mark Silvestri where Batman and the Joker are a team. I believe so. Yeah. And like, that's a book that like, eh, Canon, non-Canon, not for me. Right. That's a bat bridge too far for me. There you go. Um, but this works because there's a plan. Batman's not in space for no reason. Batman in the story is in space for a very specific reason. And that is to learn how to fight aliens because he got whooped by one. Mm -hmm. But then so much of this issue specifically is the strength in their weakness. And, Everyone else in this book, all the other aliens, whether it be allies or rivals, see weakness in Batman or Batman, two words, right? Uh, like kickboxing. Right. They no see, hyphen, no hyphen, no one. You know, two separate words. They see his weakness in that he won't kill. Mm-hmm. And this book does so much to get over the importance of why Batman does not kill and how Batman does not kill and like the importance of that, of who and what that makes Batman. And, you know, that's one of the things that so many people have gotten wrong about Batman. You know, you talk about like different times in the movies and you get people who will nitpack 
nitpick going all the way back to the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Batman. Like, Batman just, like, straight up kills, like, dozens of dudes in all those movies, right? Right, yep. And when I was a kid, when I was 11, 12 years old, seeing those movies, I'm like, ah, it's just a cool movie. I watch them now, and I'm like, yeah, Batman should be killing people. I like when ah. Batman doesn't kill people. He's better than that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, like, key things of this book that Batman doesn't kill. Yep. And, you know, it's seen as a weakness to everyone else in the book except for Batman and us because we know. We, we know what the truth is. Yep. Just, just and it's and it's a smart book too. Like besides yes. that, like the bit with the how aliens are very vain with the one is with their teeth and how that all works out. I'm just like that should just be a throwaway bit and it's not. You know, just so smart. But yeah, Jason Aaron for the win. So the uh, other book uh, that we're going to discuss is Superman number nine. Written by Joshua Williamson with art by my uh, artist of the year, Bruno Redondo. Mm -hmm. Again, I got no complaints if he's going to do Superman instead of uh, Nightwing. Nightwing. I'll miss him on Nightwing. But uh, he he adds so much uh, to the uh, coloring, the facial expressions. Uh, Does not go as crazy with the panel layout in this as he does in Nightwing, but I think it works better. Yeah, they're two different type characters, you know? Right, right. And this issue is more or less a cleanup of what's been going on in the last eight-ish issues because we get a little run over from the... the um, what Night was the, Terrors. Night the Terrors. Night Terrors. And then we had an annual that came out during all of this as well, which set up some stuff going forward for 2024. But so much of this issue is kind of wrapping up, like, the quote-unquote first year of the storyline. Like, the chain thing gets wrapped up. Um, you know, Superman dealing with the fallout of that. Um, you know, Luther's family is in Metropolis now. Um, Superman has to resort to wearing LexCore armor uh, uh, to go out and take on... Uh, what's the and again there's the two people that are against Luthor and therefore against Superman in this right uh, it's something pharma I know that yes yes is the um, one we see in this book right and then uh, we get a bit at the end which uh, you know uh, I, I definitely don't want to spoil this but if you like back to the future 3 then maybe Superman 10 <laughs> might be the book for you Yep, yep. Um, that's one of the reasons I kind of shoved this what you this way. And yeah. then I'm going to say, because, uh, you know, the last issue, the reason Superman's kind of has to wear armor is because he kind of got pelted with kryptonite and he's got a bit of, you know, he's he's still, you know, jet lagged from it and he could be hurt even worse by kryptonite. But the bit where they're trying to heal him in the beginning and it's three pages of Lois just reading letters from people who want him to get better. Two things. Bruno Redondo crushes it with, like, Lois Lane and her facial expressions. And, like, there's a shot of the mailbags of just all the mail that's there that kind of puts it over. And then, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but when Superman wakes up and what his first thoughts are is Joshua Williamson understands Superman. And immediately it's like, blah, 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 I'm doing this. And now on to more important things. I'm like, 
man, oh man, it's the little things that make Superman Superman sometimes. And like I said, Joshua Williamson just totally gets it. Yep. I, I'm a sucker for Superman. Uh, not to say that Batman's not cool and like, you know, Superman, like, you know, because I would say not as much as you, but if I'm picking my favorite DC superhero, it's the Flash. And there's more, there's more good stories of the Flash out there than there are good stories of Superman out there, which is a crime. Yeah. And I just feel so many writers take a lazy approach to Superman. The big or, stupid boy scout. Yeah. Or they, or they try to like change the tenets of what makes Superman Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and because I grew up reading it, I'm, I'm a sucker for the electric blue Superman stuff. Um, I'm sure if I read it today, I'm like, no, this doesn't hold up. Uh, there, there's people that try to do interesting things with the power set. But once it got to like red and blue electric supermans and all this other jazz, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, we're just spinning our wheels to get to the point of the TV show having the wedding so we could do the wedding, right? So we got to yep. do something to fill time. But when you get someone like this who takes those core tenets of a character like Superman and just like turns them up to 11 and is just unabashed about it and not doing it in a corny way, not doing it in a, in a, in a tongue in cheek sort of way, but doing it in an honest and genuine and heartfelt way, it comes through on the page. And that's what this Superman book is. Does. Yep. And like you said, I am a Flash guy born and bred. Yeah. So that's number one. But when I was young and cynical, Joe, not like I am now, I was more of a Batman guy. But yeah. as I become older and nostalgic and more like, you know, I, I, I don't know what, I'm becoming like a good Superman story, man, like trumps everything. Yep. Oh, so good. So I think a lot of it is that Batman has been consistently good to great for such a long time mm-hmm. that Superman has had like peaks and valleys. And I think being moody is easier to write. Yeah. You just make him aloof and keep everybody at arm's length. Where, like you said, to do Superman without being corny yeah. or like, like, ah, shucks, like stupid is really tough. It's a balancing act that you don't have to do with Batman. Right. And, and it's, it's one thing to have. Cause I know like, um, we talked about when Mark Russell a couple years back has Superman show up in the wonder twins book mm-hmm. and we're like, he gets it. And this is not a knock on Mark Russell, but like Tom Taylor, the same thing. He had Superman show up a couple times in Nightwing. And he was doing the, you know, the Jonathan Kent stuff. So you you don't really get like Clark Superman. You get the kid. But you can, you know, Clark's in there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I think it's easier to get Superman in a page or six pages, or half an issue, or whatever it is. But to do a full issue, 22 pages, or 20 pages, whatever a comic is these days, and then do a full year of it, and keep that consistency, that's tough. Yes, and it is. Mark Wade is, like, number one who could do that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that Joshua Williamson is uh, getting into that rarefied air. Right. And now you mean with any character? Because I remember Mark Wade doing Superman a long time. He, he, he's been doing it in World's Finest for the last, like, what, oh, two years? I'm thinking of, uh, like, in the past. I'm sorry. I was, like, the like, when he was just doing straight Superman. No, I mean, he, like, Mark Wade did straight Superman here and there. 
Right, like right. I can't remember if it was was it I think it was before Brand New Day where there was only two Superman books. It was um action and like how it is now. Like they went down from five Superman titles a month to right. two. Right, adventures, Man of Steel, like all that stuff, yeah. With, right. So those it was just action and Superman were the only two books like it is now. And they would have like they would be interchange like they would be, you know, essentially be two issues a month. So you would get like two issues a month for three or four months of Mark Wade doing Superman, and then somebody else would come and take it over for like Greg Rucka would do a six issue run across the right. two books. And then like so and so forth. And then somebody else would come in. It was I think it was whoever the team I don't think Gr- Morrison was on there, but it was it spun out of or was inspired by like the whole writing crew that was on fifty two. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, but like but we're talking, it. you know, we're talking 15 years ago. I really enjoy, you know, you mentioned before Dan Moore with the art on World's Finest, but Mark Wade's been writing Batman and Superman at the same time. And again, we we discredit it because it takes place in the current continuity, but it's just stories that take place wherever in the con- the current continuity. You're right. I feel most of the Batman Superman World's Finest take place in the past. Because Dick was usually still uh, Robin, you know what I mean? Right, but they're not like Elseworlds tales, they're not like out-of-continuity no. tales, they're just taking place in a different time. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know, Batman and Superman are really good comics. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's what we read from this past week, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. And uh, I I know uh, somebody posted in the Discord where be forewarned, forearmed came up somewhere else. Yeah, like in a movie or a TV show or something. It was in this past week's issue of Immortal Thor. Yes, I saw that. I was like, oh, okay. Yes. So it's definitely, like, there's been two other instances of it than other than me saying it. I don't know where I picked it up from, but it's not something I made up. Joe is vindicated. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't looking for vindication, but I'll take it when I get it, right? All right, take those W's where you can, Joe. That's right. Uh, so Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, with the final week in the year... Uh, I'm currently in the lead with one correct, correct guess. The best Todd could do is tie. Right. Um, and I wish they, instead of correct guesses, they were caress guesses. But uh, like you almost said, but I'm looking at your list. Uh, is the book you're looking forward to most Batman, the Brave and the Bold, number eight? It is Batman, Brave and the Bold, number eight. Um, only because I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, if I'm supposed to read Titans or Titans Beast World first. I oh, hope I the- hate that. I always try to get somebody to do it for me and then let me know. <laughs> There's a checklist in the back of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's on DC's website and stuff, but I don't I don't have it memorized. But no, it, even if I knew which order you were supposed to read them in, uh, Batman Brave and the Bold number eight is the book I'm most looking forward to coming out uh, with our writer of the year, Kyle Stark's Wild Dog Story being in there. Mm-hmm. Now, Todd, I have to ask you, what is The Hunter's uh, original graphic novel? It's a Kickstarter original graphic novel that I kickstarted. And here's the synopsis, Joe. 
The Hunter's graphic novel is an action-packed Western trip back to post-Civil War that tells the tale of a retired bounty hunter and his sharpshooting wife as they get mixed up in a violent and over-the-top mature audience tale told in 38 pages, featuring the talents of Writer Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, artist Chad Harden, Amanda Connor is going to do a chapter uh, divides, and uh, the cover is by a Bill Sinkevich. Is this the thing you're most looking forward to coming out this week? <laughs> it is, Joe. When I got this, when it came time to kickstart this, I was all over it. I would like had no problem getting it, and I was like. Just when I read the line, as I read it, uh, the the uh, tells the tale of a retired bounty hunter and a sharpshooting wife. This is just a Tulula Black Jonah Hex leftover script, right? <laughs> this is what this is, right? So if I'm just gonna read it as Jonah Hex and Tulula Black, but no, take that away. It's Jimmy doing a uh, western tale. There was no way I wasn't buying this. And as much as I love Kyle Starks. This was my book this week. You know what I mean? So for sure. And uh, yeah, this this is one of those ones where I saw Jimmy was. I knew it was coming out because mm-hmm. I saw Jimmy putting up the tweets of him filling out like the 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 room loads of packages to go out to right. the post office, sending them out and getting them ready. And yeah, and I'm like, well, did Todd get his yet? I wonder because I remember when it got like uh, publicized or whatever. I'm like, this feels like a Todd book. So. Mm-hmm. It is a Todd book. It is. And you won again, Joe. Yes. So I won again. Um, so we have been doing this where we guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out for the last 10 years of this iteration of the <laughs> show. Right. Right. And of the 10 years that we have been doing this, this is the third time that I have won. Right. We have a tie in there. We do have a tie. And I know that tie kills you more than the three wins that I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so close. I just needed one more point. <laughs> I was hoping for a tie this week. I really was. Right. I got to admit, though, over the course of so many years, you winning three times in a tie, I, you got to count my four in a row um, as a dynasty, right? That that's Sure. Awesome. Okay, good. I just want to have. And then when you won the, then when you won the fifth time, did you say one for the thumb? No, I didn't. I'm not, you know, insane. But uh, the only dynasty better than the Kang dynasty is what we what we're looking forward to dynasty. What if when we go try out to play Kang and Doctor Doom respectively in the upcoming Marvel Cinematic movies, mm-hmm. they they go, well, we don't like you for Kang, but we think you're perfect for Doctor Doom to me. And they say, eh, your Doctor Doom ain't cutting it, but we feel that you'd be a, a bang-up Kang. Oh, I will <laughs> would say Would that this. be the greatest insult? What would be a bigger insult? Me being Doctor Doom or they saying you feel like a Kang guy? Um, okay, because any <laughs> schlub can be Kang, the bigger insult is you being Dr. Doom. Thank you. Like, you could just scrape somebody up off the street that fell out of a bar at two in the morning All and right. make them Kang, but you need pedigree, son, to be Dr. Doom. So, and also if that happened, no jury would convict me for murdering people. None. Fair. None. <laughs> <laughs> the, put me the, in front of a Latvian court, baby. I'm going free. Oh my goodness! 
So new year starts a new uh, record. Uh, the counter goes back to zero for next week. I'm excited uh, to get out to a big lead like I had last year and then to completely squander it and have to sweat the last month of the year. And have people think we're running a work over here. <laughs> there's, there's, listen, there's, I'm starting to think, you know, with Todd coming back and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, relax. We're just relax. <laughs> <laughs> there are no works to be found here. No. On long box heroes. Uh, I'd have to explain to Todd what a work was, and then mm-hmm. we'd go from there. There are bits, but no yes. works. There, thank you. Uh, so, speaking of bits and works, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have been up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and of course, the 2023 series finale for... Todd and Joe have issues Sandman as we're going to be discussing issues five and six of Sandman Overture and the short story that came not with the San Diego helm. I heard they put a different story in the San Diego helm. Stop it. (laughs) So let's get into it. Uh, Todd, I'm going to turn things over to you. Of course, Sandman Overture written by Neil Gaiman with art by J.H. Williams, the third. As of last uh, issue, uh, Morpheus has been uh, punished by being thrust into a black hole, like a singularity kind of a deal. And he's talking about how it all started in darkness and it has to do with time. Um, And he ends up appearing to one of the young young lady characters we saw earlier in the thing. We find out she's Dusk. And she is maybe his half-sister or sister. I don't think sister. but uh, And he says that he's there. You know, she's there. You're here to see mother. And she's like, she's going to be disappointed. And he's like, oh, she'll cope kind of a deal. So he's like, all right, we'll, uh, I'll take you to her. And while that's going on, we see outside in the regular universe that the war from the, uh, the crazed star from the vortex has, uh, you know, is raging on and is just, it's just violent. And I have to say the, uh, Six panels are pretty bad, but not as bad as the three of the baby crying next to its deceased mother from the war. That is one of the saddest, most graphic three panels that I've seen in a long, long time, Joe. And again, J.H. Williams playing with styles, you know, and just something, uh, something I was not prepared for, but I should have been ready for. How about that? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, so Morpheus is talking to his mother who we've met before, like briefly, and she is night and she's like, Oh, like you're here. Um, how, how did you kind of get here? He's like, I was, uh, expelled into the black hole. Like we said, um, and she's like, why? He's like, it was pretty much the easiest way to talk to you. He kind of, kind of did it. So they would, so she could, uh, talk to to his mother and he's like oh i don't see much of you people uh she goes i only see uh, all your family here i only see the little one the most um he's like delirium and he's like yeah uh yeah but she's kind of changed because obviously she's thinking the last time she saw her she was delight and uh and he's like uh i she's very different i don't know what she wants from me and i love the line that he goes the same thing she always wanted your attention your interest your love um and he's she asks about the the, the the rest of them and about desire 
And he's like, uh, Desire, we had a disagreement. And she bends up saying, you two are very similar. And he just immediately like lashes out like, we are not. And uh, she's like, but you were like very close. And he kind of, you know, I'm not going to be made to look like a fool with her with her kind of a deal. And that's kind of the way he puts an end to it. He goes, uh, he also mentioned that he saw father and then he misses, misses, her, misses her. And she ends up saying, like, was that your whole plan kind of a deal? Like, to come here, mention, you know, his name and kind of, like, try and get your estranged parents back together and maybe, you know, uh, everything would be, you know, better. This isn't one of your stories. And, uh, you know, it's just he's like, my story is kind of a deal. Um, and uh, he just kind of asks, well, what in the end do you want, my foolish son? He's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, then we kind of see Destiny reading his book, but we're reading his book, which is an interesting um, uh, take on it. And because he knows everything, but something actually surprises him for a second uh, in his garden is a boat. And he looks like he doesn't think it would be there, which is shocking because he knows everything that's in his book. And we also see in the, the book that the war is raging on and there's these various people who are fighting it off but uh, are ready to die because, you know, the, the end is coming and they're going to do it on their own terms. But more you know, the dream cat shows up and says that I'm kind of uh, your way out. Um, and he's like, okay, we'll see where that goes. So um, – the mother uh, knight is talking to Morpheus. Is like, listen, forget the war, forget everything, stay here, and you could be, you could see me all the time. I'm your mother, and he's like, I have my responsibilities. This is an early version of Morpheus. Like he said, it's like, well, your responsibilities. I could build a whole dreaming in here, and we could um, do it. And you would, you know, you would never have to, you know, be. I could even make it f- you forget that the war was out there and he's like, I must decline. And she ends up berating him like that. You were always a selfish child. And, uh, you know, you you, you kids are the worst kind of a deal back to the, back to the black hole with you. And they hands up doing a, a bit where he describes being crushed in a singularity, uh, which is very interesting. So while that's kind of going on, uh, desire, uh, not desire destiny ends up, uh, asking for, uh, Sandman Morpheus to come to his realm through the sigil and the paintings as they summon each other. And he's kind of like, now is a bad time. He's like, I don't care. You're coming here. Uh, I want to talk to you. So he ends up pulling him out of uh, the singularity. Um, while that's going on, the cat goes to the cat dream goes into what I think is the afterlife. And he ends up finding the ghost of hope. And kind of brings her back because she, he's like, I need you for uh, something. And she ends up like, I don't want to go. I'm happy here. He's like, uh, uh, but she ends up deciding, all right, I'm going to go with the, the cat version to dream. So Morpheus, Morpheus is with Destiny in his garden. We're reading it through the book once again in a cool thing. And he's like saying everything in my book I know is is true but i want to know why you put this ship here and he's like it's it's not my ship how do you know it's my ship i know everything that one of our family would make uh and that's yours but i also don't know why i don't see it in my book 
and that makes me like uneasy. Get it out of here. Um, so he goes, okay. He goes on the ship, and I like the uh, the change into like naval uniform kind of a bit with uh, the outfit that he takes on, and it just looks really cool. Like we always say, J. H. Williams uh, uh, does beautiful stuff. He ends up running into the uh, cat version of himself um, and asks whose it is. And says, well, the ship is mine, yours, ours kind of a deal. Lots of, you know, multiple kind of personality things. Um, and she says, well, I built, we built this ship to save people. There are, you know, uh, we could, we could use this and I have a plan kind of a deal. And he's like, okay, what, what are we going to do? He's like, don't worry. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of bigger on the inside, if you will. And they get down and he's like, the ship is full full of thousands and thousands of people. And, uh, and he's like, you're here because someone's going to have to tell them, uh, why they're here and what we're going to do, which leads into the next issue in their big plan. So another issue, a great page layouts. Um, I like Morpheus. Let's just say maybe the world is ending and, uh, he like uses one of his last ditch efforts to try to get his, his mom and dad back together again. Yep. Um, you know, that was very like uh, that kind of really puts into perspective that even with like the big looming character and everything else that Morpheus is, he's still just like a little boy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we then maybe hmm, as much good stuff as there is in this, um, the two page spread where destiny summons Morpheus to mm -hmm. the hall, right? Right. Is maybe my favorite two panel spread in the whole series. Really? Uh, yes. Um, you know, obviously it has some of my least favorite tropes in there in regards to like them playing with the way that the word balloons and the whatever are playing. But it, 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 it just looking at this, even if you don't know, if you were just to look at these two pages together out of context and someone said to you it was someone being like taken somewhere against their will, mm -hmm. you would understand it, right? It, the, just the layout, no words, no anything else like that. But then the crossover from the page before or the, the two pages before maybe where the layout is we are seeing the pages in Destiny's book. And it's Morpheus being taken from that conversation, being pulled into their realm, into the pages of Destiny's book. And we talked about it, I think, maybe at the end of, what was the one? Endless Nights. Mm -hmm. Where I had questioned, is this supposed to be like a sly look? on destiny's face and we had some questions or concerns of like what are they trying to convey with the way destiny is looking here mm -hmm. there is no question we are seeing a different look a look of grief a look of something something that you would never see out of destiny and it's just from him simply showing his teeth yes because he's uh, he might be upset because there's something that's not in his book and that uh, that turns his world on its head. Yes. And that gives someone who does not have emotions because emotions aren't something. He knows everything that he's supposed to see, so he cannot be surprised. So he's surprised and or angry about it. And seeing Destiny with any emotion is 
the like like you said, we only saw maybe a, a, a hint of it in that one panel. So this full on emotion, I'm with you. Just sends you for a spiral. And again, listen, I'm patting myself on the back. It's like, hey, I remembered something from a book I read once ten years ago, right? It wasn't until the end of issue five, and we're going to get into it because we're going to talk about issue six, that I remembered what the bit about the cat was. Ah, okay, because we're going to get into it soon. They drop a lot of hints throughout the book. Yes. Um, And I'm I will get to it when we get to it. Right. So that's that's my thoughts on issue five. Right. So um, on to issue six, same creative team. Um, it's hope, the ghost of hope, you know, walking the decks and the, the beneath the ship, describing how they all, you know, are, are together and how will they understand each other? How will they get along? And, you know, I'm not going to go into all of them, but she describes the various, um, lives and, and what would you call it species or whatever is underneath, um, uh, the ship and, She's like all this and she's, you know, questioning it. But she says all she really wishes she could do is remember her name because she's kind of, you know, can't can't remember it. Uh, And uh, she ends up uh, running into Morpheus. And while this is going on, there's a whole side bit with various shots of death with the war coming to a head and destroying the galaxy from the uh, the universe from the suns. And we see various versions of like, we see space death is the best way to put it. And we see earth death, like the earth version that we know. But once again, J.H. Williams playing, you know, wonderfully w- within his strengths of, you know, an alien version of death, the way we saw a uh, plant version of death earlier um, in the beginning. Um, so, uh, hope ends up running into Morpheus and she, uh, you know, finds out that she's actually dead. And, uh, she's like, I just want to go home and be with my parents. Um, uh, and she, he says that can't happen. And, uh, they start, you know, Morpheus starts laying out the plan that kind of, uh, that, and the cat does where a night of a thousand cats, it's like if we can just get, you know, some people to believe the way the universe was, you know, in that classic story that it only took a thousand people, we can kind of kind of stop that. And she's like, right, we well, can, we can, we can, ch- like, we can. The world is going to die. This universe is going to die. Mm-hmm. But the people that we've saved in this boat, if you and only you can do it, because you're dead and not affected by everything that's going on Mm -hmm. at our behest you need to convince them all to believe that the universe isn't going to die and if Mm -hmm. you can then it won't right right Um, like and like i said using that uh that night of a thousand cats which is a nice you know easter egg as far as i'm concerned but the cat says listen before we try that there's one last thing that's drastic there's one last thing we can try um, and she's like, uh, and he's like, uh, there's one person we can turn to. And I'm surprised you haven't turned to them sooner. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. And he ends up, you know, summoning himself to delirium's realm and they end up having a talk. And she's saying that a lot of, you know, people have shown up in her realm, um, you know, because of the madness and the, the sun is one of them. And she's like, Oh, the sun showed up and I'm making him, I don't know what they like to eat, but I love when delirium rambles. And she's like, so I figured I'd make them pigs 
and vegetables. So I made them uh, pigables. And I'm like, okay, that's cute. And she's saying random uh, other stuff. Uh, you know, uh, why don't we? And when she's still enamored with destruction, her older brother's like, well, with all this destruction, why don't we call up, you know, him and maybe he can help us. And he's like, he's left, let it go. Um, and he's like, well, how about, you know, the, the star? She's like, yeah, he's here. Cause he's insane. Like, why don't you talk to him and, and fix this? He's like, kind of a, no, the, you know, everything's starting over. The universe is going away. That's, that's actually, uh, you know, uh, what's happening. He's like, and you don't care Morpheus. And he goes, of course I care. It's like, no, you don't care that it's ending. You just care that you did the thing that broke it in the first place. The only thing you really care about is that it's your fault. And that's 100% right about Morpheus at this time. And she asks him if he wants a pigable and he answers, I, I do not want one. And he's like, well, uh, Poor dream. You're so sad. You're so funny. You kind of have to go. And also, anyway, the cat isn't even you. You know, more ramblings of a mad woman, if you will, Joe. Um, uh, and he ends up going back to to Hope, and he tells her her name, and he tells her the plan um, about uh, what they're going to do, the Night of a Thousand Cats plan, as you would call it. And she ends up going to talk to them. And I love, did you see the panel where there's maybe a little Morbius in there? Yes. That's fantastic. As you're talking to the aliens, that definitely a nod to Morbius. Um, and he, she says, listen, we have to do this. All you have to do is want it. You have to really want it. And the cat's like, yes, want it kind of a deal. Um, so, uh, it, it ends up, you know, starting to happen. He ends up putting them to sleep. Uh, and he says, like, he talks to his cat. He's like, if this happens, how much will we remember it? He's like, the cat's like, there's nothing to, to remember. Um, it'll probably only be you. And uh, Morpheus says, delirium, talk to me, to, told me the truth. Why? Why did you pretend to be me? It's like, because you won't listen to anybody but yourself. You won't, um, you won't, you know, take help. You're, you're stubborn. Um, so I tried, uh, I tried the first time around. I watched from a distance. Things got bad quickly. Um, so I used the time traveling device that we saw that he, he was supposedly, his father got mad at him for borrowing. And then Daniel kind of returned, uh, years later. She's, it's cats. Like I took that, uh, uh, I made somebody want I, do it and i borrowed it and you'll know where it is to return so that's that's uh uh kind, kind of what happens and he's like oh like how dare you he's like don't get angry with me. we don't have time this is almost done do it so it all kind of, of happens we see various panels of time we see daniel in the future finding the the thing to return it um and he gives it his absolute all and uh he ends up, you know, fixing everything, and he, it, it very much weakens him. Um, and he ends up meeting the guy from the beginning who was, I forget his name, his uh, uh, his name is Glory. And he says, like, you fixed it all on your own. Um, uh, there was a girl called Hope, what will happen to her? She's just kind of a, a memory now, and I promised I wouldn't forget her. Um, 
He's like, well, what are you going to do now? And he's like, I'm going home. I have my responsibilities. And he, uh, he's like, okay. And he ends up suiting up in the, in the helm and the, the Ruby. Um, and he ends up getting, he hears this far off terms. And if you know the book, you, it's the, the incantation from issue one of him being trapped and, you know, going to the Burgess's house. And there's a nice shot of the, uh, the, the, like the, the, who, who's the guy, Sam Keith panel of him being trapped on the floor with the sigil. And that's how the book starts with Sandman one, which is a nice circle. And there are bits in it that I like that. He says, I've never been weaker. And the Ruby is almost empty on power. Um, and if you look at the Ruby, a nice nod is the Ruby isn't as bright. As it has been, the the red in his in the coloring isn't as bright as it has been for five issues. Um, so that's a nice nod. And then in the end, he just says, you know, a darkness falls and it begins, which is the uh, the end of the the story leading into uh, the, the issue one of Sandman. Sandman, but there is an epilogue, Joe. Yes. Yeah, so and, before we get to the epilogue. Um, like I said, I read this once when it came out. Uh, I forgot a lot about it. I've read a lot, and a lot has happened in the last 10 years. Um, you know, obviously, there's a book that we talked about famously that came out with five to six months in between issues. So, reading everything all together, uneven, but sticks the landing. How about that? So, we, like I said, we end up finding out that the cat is desire. Um, and there's a bit that I like because we don't know it yet, but Morpheus does. And he says, like, she's the cat says as it's being, you know, disappeared, like, don't get angry. We don't have time. And him realizing who it is, he goes, I will not be angry, but I will not forgive, which is one of my favorite lines in this book. And he ends up going home and we find out that the desire is talking to uh, despair and telling despair the story of everything that happened and he's like i was lucky the third time and we find out that it wasn't just the one time it was three times and she says the first time i let him do it on his own and you know uh he rejected my offer to help and it went bad uh you know and the second time and then then the third time i ended up realizing that he would not listen to anybody but me or himself but uh and despair kind of goes on and goes yes and now that you've done all this and he he'll remember it, he'll realize that he can never let a dream vortex get out of control and desires like, yeah, I won't remember it. But she knows that that's her plan. So her setting it up. And even though she won't remember, it's like, that was my master plan all along. He'll, he'll do it and I'll make him. Uh, kill a person who is our own blood and have the kindly one descend on him, which is a great ending. And like you said, that part sticks the landing and then this sticks the landing and Sandman is a giant loop. And I, I, I love it for it. A little self-serving when everything is said and done, but I can't fault it. I thought it was really good as an entire package, reading it from beginning to end, as we did, it was definitely worth it. It was definitely worth the revisit, and I would do it again. I 100% agree. Yes. Um, 
So finally, the 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 letter story that's in the helm edition. Yeah, that's ex- exactly the same as the one in the San Diego one. Oh, uh, you sure? Yep. So right. it's it's it, it's a letter, and like I said, it comes in a nice black envelope with a seal on it, um, and it's to Dora, the dearest Dora, and we find out that it's from a man named uh, Wilfred, um, and he basically tells the story of how he he sent a package, and it's there, and he says about the interesting market that he finds, and he's like, but I won't bore you with that. And he describes the helm, so we know it's Sandman's, uh, Morpheus's helm. And he ends up saying that the normal person that was there wasn't there. It was his nephew, and he sold it to me. And he's like, well, I really thought it was cool, and I ended up putting it on my head. And I cannot stress this enough. Do not do it. And he ends up saying that he saw this weird realm, and he describes it. And we end up realizing that it's dreams uh, throne room from the dreaming and it messes him up and he falls over and he's lucky enough to have the helm fall off. Um, and when he does that, there's a knock kind of at the door, he says, and it's the, the, the uncle of the guy who sold to him. And he's like, I want it back. And he's with some shadowy person. And he's like, that's very valuable. And he says, well, you know, you're offering me a lot of money. Um, but, uh, I probably even would have sold it to you if I still had it, but I do not have it. I do not have the helm. Um, and it's gone and neither of you will ever see it again, which is, I'm kind of feeling like, isn't him. He's channeling Morpheus a bit. And then he tells the Dora, whoever she is that listen to me, do not put the helm on. Importantly, do not ever wear it while you sleep. I will be with you soon. Slash Wilfred. Um, uh, interesting story. I kind of, this is the one story that I look down upon. I'm disappointed as it being the story from the helm. Also the fact that within the, in two times within a hundred years, Sandman loses his helm and we don't see how he gets it back in this letter. It just seems very open-ended and I wish there was more to this story. It's cool, but not I the last Sandman story for my taste, if you get it. Well, again, I have a feeling it's not going to be the last Sandman story. I'm sure there'll be something else. I get what Neil was trying to go for with this, of the warning of what happens to a mortal if they were to somehow come into possession of and put on the helm. Which is my favorite part of that story. But Yes, uh, in a very old-timey sort of way. But that being said, this is fine. Yep. I'm sure there'll be another one in the next collected edition that comes out that's in, like, a replica of Morpheus or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's a would, li- or, no, like, oh, you know what? It's a life-size statue of destiny. and it's Holding a, the book. Holding all of the book. It's one giant tome of every Sandman story. Sign me up. Yes. So uh, we actually had gotten a recommendation, suggestion uh, from listener, longtime fan, Jesse DeJong, uh, regarding this, that we should talk about what some of our favorite, you know, our top three, our favorite, whatever, uh, Sandman stories are, were, uh, maybe something that we have a new appreciation for that we hadn't read in quite some time or otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, you want to go first or shall I? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, so we're doing top three-ish, or uh, let's say top three. Sure. Okay. In no particular order. In no particular order. Uh, definitely the uh, brief lives is where like everything changes, and that's the beginning of the end. And it's it's that book where we describe as you go, the endings systematically get more foreboding and the warnings get worse. And, you know, it's all going to come crumbling down. Jill Thompson's art is beautiful. Uh, everything about it. I absolutely love this is like uh, this is Sophie's choice. Me whittling this down to three mm-hmm. because I want to say Seasons of Mist because that is such a great story but i'm gonna go with the wake because uh we've even discussed it i had to kind of hand it over to you at times on the show because of how powerful that's losing or saying goodbye to morpheus it chokes me up and even thinking about it and michael zuli's art and hobgalding and everything is 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 so perfect and then my third and final one has to be the one that kickstarted it all for me. Death, the high cost of living um, is what I read that made me go back and buy everything. Mm-hmm. So those are my three um, of my top three, but everything else is for a. So I know you say um, I'm with you on death, high cost of living. Great mm-hmm. standalone. It's just a great story where they have knowledge of Morpheus, Sandman, the whole mythos or not. Right. Right. And I think that helps it so much. And it's a beautiful looking story. It's well told the whole thing. Right. I'm with you on a game of you where you say this is where like everything kind of changes. Do you mean right? brief lives? Uh, brief lives. Yes, my apologies. Brief no lives. problem. I was making sure we we're on the same story, but go ahead. Brief lives. I'm with you on brief lives because again, everything changes and everything that happens in brief lives sets up everything that comes after for the next right. 25 issues for the next up to the the story that you just read that we just read that came with the helm, right? Mm-hmm. But the difference where you and I are going to come in is Doll's House. Doll's House might be my number one. While, yeah, go ahead. while Preludes and Nocturnes is, it's still a DC comic superhero slash horror book. Mm-hmm. Doll's House is the book that starts to pull it away from being tied into the DC universe. Right. And starts to lay the groundwork for everything that Vertigo and every Vertigo book you love would become is kind of where it all starts in Doll's House, the thematics of stuff, the characters that we're introduced to in there. And, like, I could just pull out the Hobgalding story from Men of Good Fortune and say that's my number one story. But if we're going by a full collection or whatever, I think the fact that the Hobgalding story is in Doll's House helps tip it over the top for me as number one. Okay, that's a a good one. Um, That being said... If you take the early collection and put Sandman 8 in it, as they both did put it at the end of Preludes and Nocturne, and put it at the beginning of Doll's House, um, which Neil put the kibosh on in later printings. Yes. um, The only thing that makes me want to lean towards Prelude and or that version of Doll's House is that Sandman 8 is maybe the greatest single story ever written as far as I'm concerned. 
So uh, I, I, it's a it's a tough, and the wake is just a vanity pick for me. And I could pick so many other ones, but um, when it comes down to it, uh, I just have to get Sandman eight on my list somehow. Right. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. So again, wrapping up 2023's Todd and Joe have issues. Let's start off 2024's Todd and Joe have issues where it's going to be a much easier. It's going to be much simpler. It's more or less one book a week. Uh, I'm going to stack it up at the end to do two issues at the end of the year, since usually we have lighter stuff at the end of the year. But we are reading all of Gail Simone's Secret Six. And as we have discussed previous times here and on After Dark, that we're going to get into, you know, it's everything that was written by Gail Simone. So if these characters that are introduced in Villains United number one, as this team, as this iteration show up somewhere and it's written by Gail Simone, it's included. Mm -hmm. There's stuff that doesn't get included because even though it's these characters, they're not written by Gail Simone. There's the new 52 Secret Six that's written by Gail Simone, but it's very different characters of half of the group that we're seeing here, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that I want to mention is, you know, Todd and I have these both in single issues. So it's going to be pretty much easy for us, right? Right. This did get collected in two, and by the time that we're in the middle of this, possibly a third, because there is a solicitation out there with no date on it for an omnibus of this. Right. Which is just going to muddy the issue a little bit more, but I'm going to suggest and recommend that if you are doing this in collections, you're going to want to do this in the larger collections as opposed to your six-issue collections. Right. Only because they have it like, you know, the the Birds of Prey story is three issues. It's in the Birds of Prey thing called Whitewater. We're going to get there in like two months when that comes up. Right. Mm -hmm. But the the story goes of the Villains United six issue miniseries, a one shot special. And then it goes into the the, the first six, six issue Secret Six miniseries before the regular series begins. Right. The. In the Villains United one shot is not collected in the Villains United trade. It's collected in the Secret Six Villains United trade. Right. Because the way that that works is Volume One, Secret Six Villains United has that first miniseries, has the Secret Six miniseries, and it has the Villains United one shot. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a trade that's just called Villains United with no Secret Six branding on it that just has those six issues does not have the Villains United one shot. There's a separate trade that just (laughs) collects the first six issue Secret Six miniseries called Six Degrees of Devastation that also does not collect the Villains United Infinite Crisis special. So because we're reading the whole thing I would recommend, at least for the first volume, the first 13 issues of this that we're going to be reading, you go with Secret Six Volume 1, Villains United. Right. Because it has that one issue that's not collected anywhere else. After that, like I said, things are like 14 to 15 issue collections if you go with the volumes 2, 3, 4. But they do have separate broken up six issue collections as well. Those are fine. Those collect everything as is. It's just that Villains United Infinite Crisis special that's only collected in that one iteration. Right. 
I'm going to rely on you telling me what issue I need to read next, and I'm going to go to my Secret Six box <laughs> and be 100, percent you know, on right. Board. And that's so, the thing: if you're reading this in si- single issues, you got nothing to worry about. You just go right. forward. It's just for that first collection, that first trade. There's a little bit of ambiguity because there's, you know, it's collected either over two smaller trades or one larger trade, and it's the one larger trade that has that extra issue that's not collected anywhere else. Wait a minute. Are you telling me DC would get uh, weird with the way they traded stuff at some point? Yes. Okay. No, I know it drives us absolutely nuts. So yeah. But, but like, I'll, I'll have the entire reading order, the reading list of everything in the post when that goes up for Todd and Joe have issues on Thursday. Of course, you can reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns or anything else regarding this. But I'm looking forward to reading this. One issue a week, something a little bit more of a lighter fare, uh, something that you and I both adored when it came out, mm-hmm. and I got my fingers crossed that this one is still going to st- this one's going to stand the test of time. Right. I think this is going to be a more snackable yes. segment than the Sandman one. <laughs> when heavy, we're going light. Next year, we'll probably go a little bit more heavy. We'll see. Right. Uh, sounds like me when I with my yo-yo diets. Joe. There you go. It's me. Me and my Jackie Gleason closet. <laughs> right. I got this way to close here. I got this way to close here. And I got this way to close here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was going to do a joke and then I changed my mind. All right. So uh, one last thing, if you want to help us out, of course, visit our store, uh, you know, shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Reach out to me. We'll work out a deal. I'll get some of that stuff to you. Uh, as you are listening to this, there are no T public stores. Uh, sales for 2023, but we'll let you know when the sales start up again for 2024. Right. Uh, you could also help us out by making any and all of your eBay purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, this page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make. You could use this affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. The best way to support us, though, is to sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. For as little as a dollar a month, you get two bonus shows from Todd and I every month. One, previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. I am excited to dive into 1994 stuff. I am not excited to start having to scan stuff myself. Uh Uh-oh. For 95 into 96. But we're going to do it. We're doing it. Is this a show? Yes. Uh, the other thing that we're going to be, uh, the other show is the comic book oddities, which we have the next three years of lined up. Um, we just came off talking about the Justice League pilot from 1997. For January, the first thing that we're going to be watching is one of the Hulk, Bruce Banner, the uh, Bill Bixby Hulk made for TV movies, mm-hmm. uh, Return of the Incredible Hulk. Yes. It is what we'll be watching for January, and that, of course, is on Tubi, uh, the Taco Bell in Demolition Man of streaming services, until all are one. Right. It, Tubi keeps winning. Yes. Uh, you also get the full scans of those previews catalogs that we discussed. You also get access to the soon-to-be-named network Discord. And at $5 a month, you're going to get those two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And you're also going to get Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Right. 
So last but not least, we have the Doctor Who Christmas special to talk about. Right, right. Okay. So I'm going to have to lean on you a little bit more for this one. Right. Because I did not take notes while I watched this. Mm-hmm. Because April and I watched it together. And she, yes, sweet. Bringing the family together, Doctor Who. And she enjoyed it and said, let me know when the season starts for real because we'll watch it together. Wow. You are locked in, son. I am. Until she taps out by doing something else. <laughs> like, I forget what show it was last time that you had to finish. You had to power through without her. Uh, it was Good Omens. Right. Okay. I had to watch it by myself and then watch it again with her at a later date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, um, you know, I think it was um, The Boys we watched together. Um, she, okay. she really enjoyed The Boys. <sighs> And took time out of her day for the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that she liked this. I thought it was okay. Um, well, we'll get to what I thought at the end. So, because yeah, I'm the I only thought. one that matters when it comes to Doctor. exactly. So, uh, and I just because the one thing I, d- I don't have that I just remember is that starts out with the doctor showing up at the uh, a church, you know, in the past. And we see them dropping off someone, uh, you know, a cloaked figure dropping off a baby. Cut to, you know, present time early in December. And Ruby Sunday is the the new character. Um, and she's on a show with Davina McCall, who's actually a star over there. Like, that's a cameo. You know she's what I mean? She's a real Not person, a, yes. Yeah, who does, like, uh, reality shows and stuff like that. Um and I think the show is actually a real show, the long lost family show. Um, so she's on there to find, cause she was left and you find out she was the baby who was left on, you know, uh, the doorstep uh, of the church and they're going to try and use, you know, whatever you call it, uh, DNA to, to figure stuff out. And then we kind of see random, you know, ha- like we hear laughing and little hands moving stuff, causing accidents. And from there we go, like we see various days leading up to Christmas of Ruby leading her life um, and constantly like accidents happening around her. And we see that the doctor is actually watching her, helping her where he can. Um, And then um, we cut to, you know, maybe Christmas Eve, I forget, but it's definitely right around there that we get to see Carl uh see Ruby at home with her mother and her grandmother who's uh Cherry Sunday which is a great name um and they foster children they foster children and uh they bring this one new baby Lulu Bell and they're going to watch her for a little while and I love the bit that they say that the name's horrible which plays out through the the show um and she takes a picture of her with the with the with the polaroid because she takes pictures of all her fosters and hangs them up on the the wall and she had 30 like three other fosters and ruby was the only one who stayed kind of a kind of a deal and uh so she the mother leaves and uh ruby kind of watches the baby and she hears uh on the baby monitor the laughing she goes and the baby's been kidnapped and there's a picture of like a creature with the Polaroid on the floor and she finds it and she ends up following the, 
the the out the the sun thing or something like out the roof and chases them down and she sees them lifting it on a ladder into the sky and she immediately you know jumps on the ladder which i love always like what i always say the doctor will realize good people to use to go with them she does not hesitate to save someone just jumps and she's like screaming and the doctor shows up and jumps on the ladder which is a great bit and she's like oh we're gonna fall he's like no I've invented these smart gloves. I'm usually hanging off things so much that I invented these that they uh, reduce the friction and they help with Mavity, which made me laugh out loud that they're still doing the Mavity joke. I, I had to I had to pause and explain that to April because she did not see that uh, episode. Pre- yeah. But did she at least find it amusing then? She did. Good. So he's like, yeah, you know, we don't have to worry about that. And they go up. And they're in a, in a giant uh, space, like, sailing ship. And uh, they he tells them that it's goblins. They want the baby, you know, to gobble. That's where the, gobble, the goblin name comes from. And while they're in there, they say that they kind of, they're kind of like time travelers, that they don't travel so much. They blip. And they, you know, they work by coincidences and stuff like that. That's kind of like their power. And he ends up figuring out the ship through, like, the ropes because that's their language and their wiring, which I thought was cool. And he does the bit where he escapes because he knew Houdini, which is something we learned from Scarf Doctor that he hung out with Houdini. So I like that callback. They end up escaping, and we find the Goblin King, who's kind of like Jabba the Hutt, and they do this big uh, dance number, which I'm starting to come around on Doctor Who dance numbers. Mm. Shut up, Joe. And uh, they end up, they're like going to feed the baby to the goblin. And the doctor shows up just in time. And he saves the baby doing his dance number and singing with Ruby. She does her number. And they escape on the ladder by reversing the polarity of the gloves. Because if it can help you stay up, it can also double, triple, quadruple gravity. Um, He goes back down. The, The baby's safe, you know. But now they have to klutz proof the the house because they're worried about accidents and they're trying to figure out whether goblins create all accidents or some accidents i like the the back and forth and uh the mother comes back and sees them and starts talking to them and is like oh i love ruby what if you know i don't know what my life would have been without you and doctors they start mentioning all the coincidences and coincidence power the goblins and blah, blah, blah. And they end up showing up and they take Ruby instead of the baby. Um, and he is like, okay, I have to figure this out. And he goes back in time to the, uh, to the day that they dropped, uh, Ruby off at the church because that's where they stole her from. She never was fostered by her mother and that turned her into a mean person and everything. So he goes and saves them by using the gloves to bring the ship down on the, what would you call it? On top of the church, the steeple. It sticks through the the Goblin King and I thought that was kind of cool. Then he goes back and finds out that Ruby is safe um along the way we get to meet the trope of the nosy neighbor mrs flood who's interesting she's kind of like into all this stuff and they end up uh she ends up seeing the doctor as he runs into the tardis as he's leaving 
Ruby puts two and two together that he's a time traveler from everything that that they said. Runs outside. Mrs. Flood points to the TARDIS. She runs in. They're going to travel together. And then as they're leaving, Mrs. Flood looks into the camera and says, what? You've never seen a TARDIS before? Like, she kind of understood what it was. So I'm interested to see who Mrs. Flood is. um, Because I don't think she's a throwaway character at this point. I think she's the boss. Or the thing that uh, that uh, the 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 toy maker was afraid of. Do you know what I mean? Like he said, there was one thing that I was afraid of, and I think it's Mrs. Flood. But I'm going to ride it out and see where it goes. And to say that, I think you should go back and show uh, <laughs> April the last episode with the toy maker. And so you should show them all. You should go back and watch Doctor Who from the ninth Doctor up with it. <laughs> okay. So to go backwards from the things that you, well, you know what? Let's start at the beginning. Cause I can come back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this doctor. I like right. the exuberism that he gives to the character. Yep. He's not um, weighted down in depression like the other ones. Right. I, I like the bit of him talking to ropes and understanding knots to understand the wiring of the goblin ship. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a unique bit. Right. Um, the bit with the gloves, that the weighting of the gloves, and obviously it's a, is the doctor typically an, an inventor? He, uh, there's a bit that I do love that he invented the sonic screwdriver. Okay. Um, because he did it. So he, instead of dating, he stayed home to invent the sonic screwdriver because he maybe had lots of cabinets to build, which was a joke to say he was awkward around women, but yes, he is a tinkerer, uh, an inventor at times. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, I liked the... Uh, I like the goblins themselves. I did not like the gremlins to the new batch lady goblin. That sings. That's called Janice. Yes. Which the, everybody thinks is Janice. Because the name that she's been given now is Janice Goblin. Like Janice Joplin. Mm. But she was meant to be called Janice because uh, Russell T. Davies made her. He thought he they made her look like Janice from the Muppets. Gotcha. And she's a musician. So blah, blah, blah. I did not like the Jabba the Hutt giant Goblin King. Um, I liked uh, Ruby Sunday's family. Yes. Uh, I liked the interplay with them. You know, and obviously in one episode, they kind of get over her importance of being with them and how it all helps everything else. Uh, I like that, you know, and goblins, gremlins or whatever, they're the ones that are setting things up to make her seem clumsy so that in the way that the doctor explains the how and the why they're doing it mm-hmm. really worked in the context of a one episode story of something that they can certainly come back and revisit. Um, you know, we talked before about how Sandman from beginning to end with this is just one big circle and everything comes back around. How everything here was kind of like one big circle and everything ended back around and, uh, you know, maybe the him and Han, I, I felt as though there was a little bit of padding in this episode to get it to a certain runtime mm-hmm. of maybe, you know, as you had mentioned, like Ruby dragging her feet a little bit, to, to, you know, making the decision whether or not she was going to go with the doctor or not. Um, the explanation as to the how and the why the gloves work. It's like, I don't know, it's Doctor Who. They just work, right? Right. Um, 
the bit at the end, if you don't know who that Mrs. Flood is, then I don't mind that going to ask you no questions. I'm like, is this a reference to something that I didn't see before? Right. No, I, I, cause I, I at first thought that she was a character from another like British TV show, not to be like that they were doing a cameo, but when she looked in and said, and I looked up, nobody has ever acknowledged who Mrs. Flood is. So I think she's a new character. Gotcha. And, uh, like I said, uh, April watched it. She liked it quite a bit. She goes to the light sci-fi show. Uh, she growing up was actually a big Star Trek The Next Generation fan. Mm-hmm. And she said that it felt very much like that. That, right. you know, there's serious topics, but there's the levity of everything that kind of offsets it. And, like, that's what she really liked about the episode that we watched. Um, when I was watching the Toymaker episode and... Matt Smith and Neil Patrick Harris were both on the screen at the same time. She comes in, she goes, what are you watching? I tell her what it is. I explain everything. And she just looks at it and she goes, what did they do to make those two attractive men look so ugly? And (laughs) And and David Tennant, not... uh, Oh, David Tennant. Yeah, my apologies. So David Tennant, Neil Patrick Harris, she goes, what did they do to make those two attractive men so ugly? And I go, it's called time, honey. (laughs) <laughs> yes, right. it's right. what made your husband and his co-host ugly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so uh, when it came up saying that the new season begins spring of 2024, she's like, write me down. We'll watch it together. I'm like, cool. Awesome. Perfect. And that's what it actually is, is they're calling it series one. I think she's going to enjoy it more because it's. I don't think it's going to be bogged down in a lot of the nine through 14, if that makes any sense. So right. Um, you've watched a little bit of the, 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 the Jody Whitaker doctor. I'm losing track on the numbers because of them doing, using tenants so many times. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that should be interesting. And I'm actually shocked that, uh, they announced that it'll be spring of 2024 because once again, the rumors were that we wouldn't have another doc run a doctor who until the Christmas special in 2024. You know what I mean? Right. They keep surprising me at least, but Anyway, I I really enjoyed it. It made me feel like watching the good, the great run of the the the, the new Doctor Who run, and I'm I've been having a blast since Russell came back. There have been no clunkers as far as I'm concerned, um, but I also say I'm the Homer food critic of Doctor Who because I watched the bad runs in like the late eighties and stuff when there was no budget and they were trying to shut the show down. So this is like the cream of the like. I've seen bad, so everything after that is really good to me, even <laughs> though, you know, uh, the the master you want isn't in it. But right. we'll see. And I'm wondering if the Mrs. Flood is the female who picked up the the master's tooth. You know Possibly. I mean? That's the only other thing that I can think. And then me and Adam were postulizing that the uh, that the mother of Ruby is Rose from the first run of Doctor Who, which I think would bring it back to that. But um, that would be coincidences, and this seems to be we're running on a lot of coincidences that Ruby and the Doctor are, are are orphans. This and that and all the things, that that would be a coincidence. But I do think it's going to be Ruby herself for some reason who leaves the baby at the church. That's my my uh, my dream booking is that for some where Ruby finds the baby and she knows where to take herself. Gotcha. That's why we never saw her face, but we'll see. Those are my predictions. All right. 
Well, we won't have to wait that long, maybe about three to four months before we get uh, start getting answers to some of these things, maybe, perhaps, who knows. Right. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to episode 690, our year-end wrap-up, setting up for 2024 and everything else uh, going forward. Um, hopefully, uh, we can keep that streak alive of uh, another year of great shows, as Todd predicted, 52, would you say? awesome episodes yeah 52 bangers this year so or uh, yeah 52 weeks because we do multiple shows that's right uh so like i said for todd this is joe saying thanks everyone for listening and we will see you all here next week remember be a faucet not a drain Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.